Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 24 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 24. Thanksgiving is like a week and a half away, just so you know. All right, just a little reminder there. Um, I'm not sure this was the intent uh, on the very first Thanksgiving day, but sometimes a question that you're having to ask yourself on Thanksgiving Day is like you're getting ready to kind of go through the line and start putting food on your plate. One of the questions, and maybe you never ask it out loud, but you're thinking about it in the back of your minds, is how much do I want to put on this plate right now? Um, Do I want to just kind of throw it all on there at one time? This is a one-trip deal. I'm just going to load it up. Or do you say, no, I'm just going to maybe get like a little bit and save some room for later? Maybe you've already started thinking about that for this coming Thanksgiving. I don't know. You know, it's, it's a lot like that in preaching, by the way. Every week you look at the Bible, you look at a text, and you're having to ask yourself, am I going to just like throw all this on the plate right now and uh, absolutely stuff them to their gills? Or do we need to kind of break this up a little bit and come back for some more later. Uh, The goal is to fill you up, not make you miserable. Um, And so every week, that's a little bit of a challenge when you're kind of working your way through God's Word. And so I say all that to say the text that is before us today in Matthew 6, 22 to 24, it really does belong with what we saw together last week in verses 19 to 21. My fear, though, is that had I put it all on the plate last Sunday, you would have been miserable, all right? And so kind of breaking that up a bit. So just know that, that as we dive into the text this morning, that I want you to just kind of keep connecting it back to verses 19 to 21, which we saw together last week. And in that text last week, by way of kind of refresher, reminder, we saw kind of three realities there about earthly versus heavenly treasure. Number one, earthly treasure, that stuff that we do to store up for ourselves treasures on earth, that earthly treasure, the worldly goods, possessions, money, all that stuff, it is eventually lost. Uh, You can't keep it forever, so it's eventually lost. Secondly, we saw that heavenly treasure, though, it is eternally secure. What we store up in heaven, it cannot be lost. It is eternally secure. And then thirdly, last week, in verse 21, we saw that the location of your treasure, that it absolutely evidences, it shows, it reveals the location of your treasure heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So then we come to this morning, verses 22 to 24, building on what we saw maybe particularly in verse 21 regarding our hearts. This morning's text, what it's doing is it's digging down into our Hearts. It's digging down into our souls and bringing us face to face with what we truly desire and love. This text is forcing us to ask and then answer the question, am I a person of singular devotion to the Lord or am I a person of divided loyalties? Do I have 
both eyes clearly fixed upon God and the things of God, or am I trying to keep an eye on my earthly stuff and yet somehow another eye on the things of God? I think we would all say, in light of what we studied together last week, yes, we want our treasure to be stored up in heaven, not on earth. And friends, if that then be the desire of your heart, then understand that to get to that place, your hearts must be fully and wholly consumed with the things of God. Because divided loyalties will never produce heavenly treasure. In fact, they, they cannot. If our interests, if our loves, if our passions, if our pursuits are divided, if our loyalty is trying to be to the things of the world and to the things of God, then know that you and I will never be able to produce heavenly treasure from our lives. So then, look to the text with me. Matthew 6, verses 22 to 24. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't do it. I want to maybe just acknowledge at the outset here that some of the language, particularly in verses 22 and 23, it may be a little more difficult, so we're going to have to kind of put on our kind of thinking caps a bit this morning and, and really consider what is it that the Lord Jesus is getting at in this section of His sermon where He's using this language of the eye. And in a sense where we are being called to consider some aspects or realities about not just our physical vision, but our spiritual eyesight. So there's three realities here that I want us to consider from the text this morning. Number one, in verse 22, I want us to consider the reality that good vision produces light. Good vision, it produces light. And I think it might also be most helpful for us as we're seeking to understand the text, it may be most helpful for us for me just to go ahead and to say at the very outset of this that when Jesus, in verses 22 and 23, when He mentions the eye, He is not referring to this. He is referring to the heart. What, what Jesus is doing in verses 22 and 23 is that He is using the eyes to illustrate the realities of our heart. And so when he uses this language of eyes and seeing clearly, ultimately that to which he is driving is the overall condition of our 
hearts. He says here in verse 22, the very beginning, that the eye is the lamp of the body. It's, a, it's a, another way of saying that the heart, your heart, it is the very eye of the soul. J- just as your physical eyes, when they are open and clear, they enable you to see what's going on around you, where you're going, potential dangers, so the reality is true that when our hearts are clear, that when they are pointed Godward, when they love the Lord and seek to do His will, that we will then, through those clear eyes and clear hearts, we will be taking things in to our lives that are good and full of light. So then, if your eye, verse 22, is clear. This is an interesting little phrase here. Uh, This phrase, so then if your eye is clear, and in particular, the word eye there, uh, there, there's a, a nuance of this word that means single, like one, or singular. So then, if your eye is singular, if it is singular focused, if it is not clouded, if it is not distracted, if there is no double vision, or trying to put one eye on one place, another eye on another place, then the whole body, he says, will be full of light. What we're being called to here is to, in our heart's eye, to look at, to set our hearts upon, to dwell upon, to meditate upon, to pursue with a singular purpose, a singular devotion, a singular direction, the things of God. We're being called in verse 22, to have the condition of our spiritual eyes, our hearts, for that condition to not be blurred, to not be darkened, but to be clear. And look, you, you know how this works. Imagine going maybe into a you know, large rotunda, big, big room, and maybe you walk into that room and floor to ceiling, there's just windows all, all around. And those windows are clear, they're clean, They've been wiped, they've been scoured, and and because of the clarity of those windows, all that natural light is filling that room, right? That's the idea here. That our spiritual eyes, that our hearts would be so clear, so in tune to the things of God, pursuing His Word so much, hating our sin and seeking to put it to death to such a degree that the light is let into our lives that all is clear. The desires and the longings of our hearts are to be singularly focused upon God and the things of God. What is the result in verse 22 of those clear eyes, clear 
hearts. If your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. If our eyes, if our hearts are only seeking good heavenly things, if our desire is not to amass for ourselves all the worldly treasure we can, and if the desire of our soul, what drives us, consumes us, compels us, is to store up treasures in heaven, then the whole body will be full of lights. All of our lives will be consumed then with the glorious lights of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives will be pointed heavenward. Our attitudes, our speech, our actions will then be pleasing to God. Just as good, clear eyesight, good, clear vision, just as it directs our physical steps, so good, clear spiritual eyesight, single-focused eyesight, it directs our entire spiritual direction. To, To say it most succinctly, whatever it is that's going on in your heart is going to determine the events and the course of your life. The things that you ingest into your heart, that you spend time reading, looking at, the things to which your hands attend, to which you dwell upon in your mind, the things that Fill your heart, your soul, the part of you that is really you, what you invest there determines, it absolutely determines the rest of the course of your life. Church, do not miss the repeated throughout Scripture biblical reality that everything we do, everything we say everything that we desire it has its origins somewhere and that somewhere is in our heart and so then when we sin outwardly when we sin with our hands the problem is not here it's not at the end of the fingertips the problem is where the problem's in in my heart i've got some clouded spiritual vision. When I sin with my tongue and say things that are cutting, mean, not gracious, ungodly, the problem is not, it's not here. The problem's here. It's in my heart. And what comes out of my mouth or what comes from the work of my hands is a direct a direct relation to what's going on in my heart. So then, again, the call of verse 22, being called to clear spiritual hearts. Beloved, Proverbs 27, 19 tells us this, that as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. 
just as you look into the water and see a reflection, or you look into the mirror and see a reflection, so when you look into your hearts, when the Word of, the, the word of God, the, the mirror of God's Word, when it is held up in front of you and you look into it and it shows you what's going on, not just outwardly, but inwardly in your souls, that is who you truly are. That's who you truly are. Are. And so then the other call of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it, from your heart, flow the springs of life. If everything that we're doing, saying, thinking has its origins in our heart, if clear eyesight, clear spiritual direction starts in our hearts, then Proverbs 4.23, watch over. Give careful attention to be vigilant in, in regards to what you are putting into your soul because from your heart flow the very wellsprings of life. Beloved, do you want to be in the light? You want to produce heavenly treasure? Do you want your spiritual eyesight to not be blurred, to not have any double vision, but to be singularly focused on God and the things of God? If so, then understand how that begins. It begins at the level of the heart. It begins with being single-visioned, single-focused. So then, what are you putting into your heart? What does the eye of your heart constantly look at? What is it staring at, gazing at, constantly beholding? Because that which you constantly gaze upon and behold, you will love, and you will pursue. Good vision produces godly light in our hearts. Secondly, verse 23, bad vision, maybe you would say blurred vision, cloudy vision, it produces darkness. Bad vision produces darkness. Uh, verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if the good eye or the good heart in verse 22 is full of singular devotion to God, then the bad eye of verse 23 is just the opposite. The eye or the heart in verse 23 is filled. It is consumed by, it is consumed with a desire for earthly things. It cares little to nothing about God and the things of God. It cares little to nothing about God's Word and how He calls us to live in His Word. The eye, the heart is bad. 
And as a result, what it's done is all of those sinful desires, all that caked on worldliness, what it does is that it, it covers the windows and it darkens, it dims the room so that, verse 23, you are in the darkness. And instead of being singularly focused, like the eye or the heart from verse 22, the bad eye in verse 23, it's got, it's got some double vision going on. It's, it's, it's seeing things. A lot of different things. It's trying to focus on two different opposing realities. The bad eye has this double vision. This bad heart has these divided loyalties. Trying sometimes to pursue the world and the things of the world, and then sometimes trying to pursue God and the things of God, and it's just it's all blurry. It's all dim and dark. Notice what he says about the darkness in verse 23. If then... The light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? How great is the darkness? It, it, it seems here to be a bit of a perplexing statement. How can there be light in you and darkness in you all at the same time? The whole point of light is that it drives away the darkness, right? So then how can it be, Jesus saying at the end of verse 23, that there be a light in you that has become such a great darkness? Well, follow, follow with me. You remember back in chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, that Jesus, after calling us the salt of the earth, He then calls His people the light of the world. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, following after the light of the world, become themselves. Having now the light of Christ in them, they become the light of the world. And what we understand from a passage like that is that as God's people, as Christians, that we are called to shine the light of Christ into the midst of this sin-darkened world. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 that we as God's people have been called out of darkness and into this marvelous light. And so as Christians then we are light. It's not merely that we should become light, it's that if you have been called out of darkness by God's grace into the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ then you are light. So then, if that light in you becomes darkened by the soot and the grime of worldly desire, of worldly passions, of worldly pursuits, Jesus says about that darkness that begins to creep in, that that darkness at the end of verse 23 is great. The darkness becomes shockingly noticeable. You're not supposed to be in darkness. 
your light is not supposed to be dimmed. But this is what bad eyes or bad hearts that pursue worldliness and worldly things, this is what gets produced. Bad eyes produce darkness where darkness should not exist. There should be light in us, saints, not darkness. So if darkness creeps in, we've got a real problem. That darkness is shockingly noticeable and we must do something about it. Imagine if you live 40, 50 years and your eyesight's perfect. And you see all the beauties of the earth, all the colors, all the shapes, all the people, everything that God has made. And then in a moment, no warning, in a moment, your eyesight's gone and it all goes black. That's going to be shocking for you. You're going to feel that darkness. How great is the darkness? When Christians, God's people, when their lives are kind of caked over with soot and the grime of worldliness and sin and selfish pleasures and pursuits, it produces a darkness that is just really shocking, that should not exist. So then we're left to ask ourselves questions like, again, what am I ingesting into my soul? Is it producing light in me? Is it producing darkness? I'm called to be light. So then the light of the glory of Christ in me must constantly be pushing out the darkness. What are you giving your heart to, sweet saints? What are you investing all of the time and precious energy and precious resources that God has given. What are you investing that stuff in? Back to last week. Spending that one precious nickel on earthly things or seeking to invest the one precious nickel of your life for the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom. In verse 23, we're starkly reminded that our bad Vision produces darkness. And then verse 24. And this is where Jesus is driving everything to. So it all culminates. Comes to a point here in verse 24. The third reality is this. That our double vision, trying to have an eye to the things of the world and an eye to the things of, the God, the things of God, that double vision is also going to produce something. And it's going to produce divided loyalties. Double vision produces divided loyalties. Verse 24, no one. Uh, Listen, I I think there's probably something in all of us that says, no, I I can actually do it. I I can actually kind of toe the line. Maybe you you would even say to yourself, I've actually gotten pretty good at it. At being consumed like, you know, Monday through Saturday kind of with the things of the world, but then slipping into, you know, the church on Sunday, being around God's people and and kind of doing something different. That's not biblical Christianity. And what Jesus says in verse 24 is, you're actually kidding yourself, you're not actually pulling it off. 
I mean, maybe outwardly you pull it off, but inwardly in the heart where it really matters, no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. You simply cannot do it. No one can serve two masters. Here's why. Because either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot. You cannot serve God and wealth. Here's the whole point. It started back, uh, back up in verse 19. Where, where are you storing up treasure? It's all been driving to verse 24. Where Jesus says it is just simply not possible. It's not possible to, com- to be completely devoted to two loves, to two passions, to two masters. One of them will get your time. One of them will get your attention. One of them will get your investments. And the other one, you will hate. But Jesus is not mincing words and He's not waxing poetic. This is heart reality. You're going to love one, invest in it, and the other one? It's not even that it's going to get the leftovers. There's not going to be any leftovers. You're going to hate the other. You're going to despise the other. One of them you will pursue. One of them you will think about. One of them you will long for. And the other one you will despise. And because we are sinners, guess which one we will naturally gravitate toward? Because we are sinners. Listen, this is one of the beauties of heaven that I hope you are awaiting. That when you get to heaven, you will no longer have divided loyalties. That you won't care about earthly things. That there will actually be no sin and no temptation. I think that's the real, one of the real beauties of heaven. The, the biggest beauty of heaven is that Jesus is there. The other one is that sin is not. But here, we're still fighting the flesh. Still fighting it. And because we're doing that, often what is the case is that we will pursue sin and selfishness. We don't even maybe even want to. Maybe we even hate the fact that that's what we do. But it is what we do. You will love the one and you will hate the other. There is a shocking, stark example of this in Scripture. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, and then in Philemon, verse 24, Paul mentions a guy by the name of Demas. We don't know a lot about Demas, but here's, I think, what we can gather from the Scriptures. That he is with Paul. That he is supporting Paul. That he is laboring with Paul. Traveling with Paul. I think we would say about Demas, Demas cares about the things of God. 
he, you know, he's kind of left his home and left comfort and he's traveling with Paul and enduring a lot of the same difficulties which Paul is enduring. Seemingly, he loves the church. He seemingly loves the preaching and the teaching and the evangelism. He seems to be all in. When Paul finishes Colossians, when he finishes Philemon, he says, hey, Demas says hi. Demas is with me. He loves you guys. He, he says, hey. I mean, maybe Demas was even right beside him. Like, hey, hey Paul, make sure, make sure you tell him I said hey. So a couple of times, Demas says hi. But then this happens in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Paul is in prison, likely very near the end of his life. And when he writes back to Timothy, he says this about Demas. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You will love the one and you will hate the other. You will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and the things of this world. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the uh, preacher of the last century, once told a story that he believed to be very true. I don't know if he knew this firsthand or if he had, was able to kind of verify its truthfulness. He believed this story to be very true, and so he told it often that uh, one day a farmer comes kind of running into the house where his wife and family are gathered, and he is just overjoyed. And he runs into his wife and to his kids, his family, he says, Guys, guess what? Our very best cow has just had twins. They are healthy. They are strong. One of them is, is, is red. The other one is, is white. And they just rejoice at this news. He looks at his wife and just so overcome with joy and gladness and thankfulness to God, he says to his wife, he said, you know, here's what I think we need to do. I, I, I think that we need to raise these calves. And when they get older and, you know, kind of bigger and stronger... We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep one for ourselves, and then we're going to take the other one, and we're going to sell it, and we're going to use the proceeds to give to the Lord and to His work. His wife looks at him and says, well, which one are you going to dedicate to the Lord? To which he responds, there's no need to bother about that now. I mean, there's babies. No need to bother about that now. We'll treat them both in the same way. We'll raise them the same way. Feed them the same way. And when the time comes, we'll do as I say. Several months go by and one day, he comes not bounding into the house. He comes dragging into the house very dejected. Very sad. Very concerned. Very unhappy. His wife looks at him and says, what has happened? And he replies back to her, I have bad news to give you. The Lord's calf is dead. But she replies, well, but you never, you never designated which one was our calf and the Lord's calf. 
Oh yes, he said, I'd, I'd always decided that it was the white one, and it is the white one that has died. The Lord's calf is dead. Church, it is always the Lord's calf that dies. It's always the Lord's calf that dies. When we try to play both sides of this thing, when we try to have one toe in the world and the other in the things of God, when we're trying to store up earthly treasure for ourselves, guess which one we're going to spend the most time investing in? That which we like. That which we want. That which makes us feel good. And what's going to happen to the Lord's calf? It always dies. It always gets the leftovers or just not thought about despised. You cannot serve two masters. No one can. You cannot serve God and wealth. You, you, you can't have a divided heart with divided loyalties, with double vision. Because you're always going to gravitate toward that thing which you love. Spurgeon said that gain and godliness cannot both be masters of our souls. You can use your wealth to serve God, but you cannot serve God and wealth. So then we're left to ask, the things of this world, our possessions, our money, our goods, are you master over them? Or are they master over you? Are you using your wealth to serve God or has your wealth become a cruel taskmaster? Church, what is the overall condition of your spiritual eyesight of your hearts clean and clear or darkened by worldly desires divided loyalties can never produce heavenly treasure divided loyalties can never be pleasing to god divided loyalties will always glorify self and not god and so then Hear the call of God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your minds. 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. And also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. How is your spiritual eyesight, the condition of your heart, your soul, you're here this morning and 
Maybe you just don't ever really give a whole lot of thought about God or the things of God or His Word. Maybe you find, if you are honest, that you, you, you never really consider what God wants or how God wants you to live. It might be time for you, if that's the case, it, it, it might be time for you to consider this question, do you really know the Lord? Because if we've been overrun by God's grace, if we've been snatched out of darkness into His marvelous lights, if we have been rescued from the wrath of God, then that's going to matter in how we live. That's going to matter in how we inform our hearts. Do you know Christ? Do you know God's grace? In Jesus? Have you been forgiven of your sins which have made a separation between you and God? Have you been adopted into God's family, made His child when previously you were spiritual orphans? Turn from your sins. Stop trying to work your way to heaven. You're no closer to heaven today than when you first started if you're just trying to work your way to heaven. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. Trusting in who He is and what He has done on His cross. And church, in lights of who Jesus is and what He has done for us on His cross. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help our hearts to not be divided, that our spiritual eyesight would not be blurred by the things of this world, but that they would be singularly focused upon God and the things of God. Let's pray together this morning. God, again, we ask that You would help us to discern what is true about our hearts. And and God, help us not to try to discern according to our own standard, according to what we feel in our own hearts. But God, help us to discern in accordance with Your Word. God, help us to see help us to know. Help us to respond. Father, if we need to confess sin, then there's no greater time than now for us to do that. Especially as we prepare to take the bread and cup into our hands to remember. I thank You for this moment. Thank You for how uh, this particular text of Scripture has come on This Sunday of the month where we observe the Lord's Supper, God, so that we would consider before uh, eating and drinking, God, we would consider the condition of our heart. Lord, I pray that You would draw sinners to salvation. God, capture them by Your grace. Show them 
foolishness of by pursuing their own agendas, their own ways to heaven. Show them clearly, God. Open their eyes so that they might see. God, that they would respond in faith, repentance, out of their sin. Lord, as we come now to just this really beautiful moment of remembering, celebrating, God, help us to do this honoring unto You. God, help us to do this as one, together as one body, purifying our hearts now and rejoicing together. We love You and we thank You now. We pray it in Christ's name.